Hello, and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. Episode 4, The Constant Spinograph. Last episode, B.J. Palmer introduced us to the rigorous process he undertook when securing a scan with the neurokilometer. From eliminating various interfering electromagnetic waves to making sure every chiropractor also understood the need for a neurocalligraph, BJ refined the science of chiropractic by removing variables and establishing constants. This week, BJ gives us insight into the spinograph, or in other words, an x-ray specific to the spine. If a subluxation in the upper cervical region was the cause of all lower spinal adaptive curvatures, then could adjustment of that upper cervical subluxation alone correct those adaptive curvatures? If so, what kind of x-rays were needed to better image the exact nature of the subluxation? And how do you develop a scientific system of taking x-rays so that when a post-x-ray is taken, movement of the adjusted vertebra can be attributed exclusively to the adjustment and not to faulty and variable patient positioning? We cover that and more on this episode of the Green Book Commentaries. Volume 25, page 28, subchapter, Spinographs. X-rays went through the same searching development for variables. We demanded an X-ray equipment which would make possible flat or stereo-precise duplication of a posture constant at any and all future times on same case. That spinographs focalize to occipito-atlanto-axial region, or entire spinal column, head to hips, and a single exposure on a single or stereo film. That spinographs be brilliantly clear in sharp detail, without distortion. That entire spinographic set of A to P natural, lateral natural, A to P stereo, diagonal stereo, BP stereo, 8 by 36 stereo, be made to match each with the other with perfect precision. That stereoscopic spinograph sets match line for line, blending one into the other without distortion, or portray true third and fourth dimension directions. That entire set of 10 spinographs of one person made at previous date precisely match entire set of 10 spinographs of same person taken at later date, regardless of whether that be two weeks or two years. Before and after sets required to perfectly match without distortion. That a posture constant be established which could be mechanically duplicated, wherein future sets match past sets of same person. That spinographs so made would be so perfectly matched that over overlapping graphs could be made which would be true to prove mathematical changes in position of segments subsequently existing as a result of action previously adjusted upon segments analyzed in spinographs. In this way we know precisely what has mathematically happened to individual subluxation whether it has been mathematically corrected from abnormal to normal position, 
whether it has been mathematically made worse from normal to abnormal position, whether it has been moved from wedge to no wedge, whether it has been moved into wedge and made worse, whether we have moved correct vertebra or incorrect one, it has, if it has moved mathematically and in which direction. If it has not moved, why not? As time proceeds, what effects its change has, on, has had on balance of spine contours, if any? No such equipment existed, so we proceeded to make it. Ten years and $50,000. We now have it. Each case has a check set every two weeks. Our gross average number of spinographs per case since opening clinic August 5th, 1935 is 21.85, greater than any other clinic in the world. Being precise in posture constant, we make flat or stereograph set overlapping record, which mathematically measures correction of vertebral subluxation following adjustment. We know, we don't guess. Adjustments, if, as, and when, are now measurable. Opinions, as such, as of what, when, where, how, and why, are eliminated. We check next adjustment, two ways. Neurocalometer, neurocalograph, neurotempometer. Record and X-ray check set graph. 8 by 36 stereos prove 99% of cases have abnormal adaptive curves. We developed, invented, and patented the contour graphometer, which automatically and mechanically records all curves of spinal column. This record is made each week. Contour graphometer automatically and mechanically records anterior to posterior curves left and right lateral curves. Only specific adjustment given is, a, is at occipito-atlantal axial area. Any changes occurring in comparative contour graphs taken consecutively a week apart are due to that adjustment alone. No lifts under heels, no other adjustment given any other place. Records show average case height is increased from one half to one and one half inches in six weeks. To increase height means to straighten out adaptive curves, either lordoses, kyphoses, scolioses, or rotatory, thus increasing height. Adjusting cause relaxes contracted muscles on one lateral side and or contracting prolapse muscles on other lateral side. Either change straightening curves, raising height. We know, we don't guess what's happening, where, how, and why. See long article on adaptive curves in volume 24, Palmer, 1950. Reading x-rays is reading shadows. As a sample of efficiency, we use only distilled water for developer, fix and rinse. Establish temperature, summer and winter. Thermostatically heated in winter. Thermostatically cooled in summer with two refrigeration plants. Microscopic study of films proves that cold water shrinks film on emulsion, emulsion base, 
changing minute shadow lines. Hot water causes film on base to run, changing outlines of shadows. As another example of variables versus constants, to include many means and methods, to include many places and ways to adjust, to include many treatments, simultaneous with adjustments, would mean to complicate and complex variables from which nothing can be deducted, to exclude all means and methods down to one, to exclude all places and ways to adjust down to one, to exclude all treatments of any kind and only one adjustment, one place, one way, would mean to simplify, extricate, and eliminate all variables down to a constant from which a deduction could be made. Majority believe that in process of inclusion of more, varied and many contradictory and opposing systems, they are adding health service to their clientele. Minority have proved in process of exclusion, they are subtracting all elements with which detract and dilute this service. It is now demonstrable. As scientific research, in giving more, they give less. There was a time when this could not be proved. It is now proved that less done wrong by way of inclusion, more is done right by way of exclusion. Cases we get in the BJ Palmer chiropractic clinic are problem types. What is wrong with medical principle and practice that it fails? That is a part of a problem we solve. What is wrong with chiropractic practice? That it fails at hands of some chiropractors and succeeds at hands of others. That also is part of problem we solve here on their cases. Approximately 50% of patients in the BJ Palmer Chiropractic Clinic are chiropractors or members of their immediate families. Why? Answer lies in wrong adjustment, at wrong place, wrong way or wrong time, and or over adjusting, if right. Many a case has gone to a chiropractor, taken one adjustment, never returned. When seen next, months later, inquiry reveals cases well. Patient knew when to quit. Sick people go to a chiropractor when medical experimentation has failed. Sick people come to the BJ Palmer Chiropractic Clinic when chiropractor has failed for some one of many reasons. Those problems are research solves. Obviously, a chiropractor wants to be healthy and live. Why is he so often sick and given up to die? That is another pro part of problem we solve here by getting cases well and saving their lives. One of the early questions in our determination to know and lick problem of guessing at conclusions was whether to include other principles and practices in conjunction with chiropractic principle or practice, or whether to exclude them. It did not take long to reach a sound conclusion. To include other principles and practices is neither to prove chiropractic right or wrong, nor to disprove other principles right or wrong regardless of whether case got well or failed. Let us cite a few examples. There is an itch on abdomen. It is caused by a vertebral subluxation, says chiropractic. 
It is caused by an inflammation or a germ or an infection, says medicine. Here are two contradictory principles. Chiropractic adjusts vertebral subluxation. Medicine puts something on itch to alleviate inflammation or kill germ or act as antidote to infection. Which to do? Suppose you do both. You give an adjustment. You also apply liniment, uh, germicide, and an antidote. Patient, patient gets well. Which did it? You tell, because we can't. You mix two contradictory principles and practices. One of them worked because patient is well. Which principle and practice did it? There is constipation. It's caused by vertebral subluxation, causing muscular walls of bowel to become paralyzed so they can't contract and expel fecal matter. It is caused by prolapsus of muscles and bowels, says medicine. And you need to take something to stimulate prolapsus, says medicine. You apply chiropractic principle by giving verbal adjustment. You also give orally Epsom salts. Bowels move. Which principle and or practice delivered results? If you use chiropractic principle or restoration of normal mental impulse supply, and if you used Epsom salts to stimulate bowel, which did it, admitting you got results? How can you separate results from one from the other, both being contradictory and antipodal to each other? There is the chiropractor who believes that in including many things he has made in addition to his objective of getting sick person well. He gives an adjustment, or many of them at various places in the back, plus infrared rays, various kinds of therapies, privy practice, etc. Suppose case does get well. Which and or what did it? Does it take all? Does it take some? If so, which ones? Which could be excluded? Which are necessary by inclusion? Which would be better by exclusion? Suppose he begins to exclude one by one and finds his case getting well quicker. Suppose he finds that inclusion of many excludes health by dilution. Suppose he could prove exclusion of unnecessary, hasten recovery by inclusion only of necessary? How can he possibly know when there are many opposing each other? There are normal adaptive curves. Chiropractic says they are adaptive to gravity weight of an abnormally positioned head. Others say they are caused by improper postures at desk, in chair, because one pelvis is tipped higher than other, or because one leg is shorter or longer than other. Chiropractic says adjust atlas or axis subluxation, the cause. Effects and symptoms will take care of themselves. Another method may say to put a lift in the shoe, force the long leg to become shorter or equal to the short leg. And this will straighten the pelvis, take out the adaptive curves, take spinographs and prove that it is exactly what does happen, which principle or practice is right. There is a way of testing and proving. Rather than include both at same time on same case, suppose we exclude one or the other. Suppose we adjust atlas subluxation, check, measure, and prove our case. 
This we have been doing for years. Other method is to put a lift in the heel, spinograph, and watch to see what happens. Immediate results will be to show a change, the same as we secured with medicine on itch, bowels, and salts, etc. Those who put lifts in heels almost always give an atlas adjustment. By process of inclusion, they don't know and have no way of knowing which principle or practice secured the result. If those who believe in this principle were to use that principle in practice alone and not give any adjustment at all on any cases, they would find whether it worked or failed. Some of our profession have done this and have become convinced. If chiropractic principle in practice is right, how far is it right? Which one of the various theories is correct to follow? Is vertebral subluxation single or multiple? If one, which one? If multiple, which one or series of ones? And where located? One man says he adjusts only one and patient gets well. Another says he adjusts several and patient gets well. Both are contradictory to each other. Who is right? How can any process of inclusion prove it is? Does the process of exclusion prove itself? Only by the process of exclusion can anybody reach a definite, positive conclusion of fact. Better fail and know why, than succeed and not know why or how. Average chiropractor reminds me of Uncle Howard nutting and how he shot the robber. Uncle Howard was an early advocate of chiropractic and one of its staunchest adherents in an understanding way of the principle and practice involved. He was awakened one night by Miss Howard, saying there was a burglar in the house. Uncle Howard got his revolver and belt of bullets, going to the garret, started shooting to every corner, crevice behind every obstacle. He came down to second floor, did same in every room, under every bed, in every closet. He went to main floor and repeated the process. He went to the cellar and shot in coal bin, fruit cellar, behind boxes, after which he came back to bed. Miss Howard asked him if he shot the burglar. You bet I did, he said. Did you see him? No, it was not necessary. How do you know you shot the burglar? Because I shot every place one could hide. This is the, pr the principle of inclusion via shotgun prescription process. It would have saved effort, time, labor, stewing, fretting, guessing, and uncertainty if he had watched for the whites of his eyes, taken one specific accurate shot, and hit the bullseye. Mathematics, astronomy, and chemistry are sciences. They are such because they are based on the exclusive process of ascertaining conclusions and facts. We contend chiropractic is a philosophy, science, and art. Take an imaginary trip through various cities, various states, visit various chiropractors' offices, and then you tell me how much science is involved or practice. How many do the same thing in the same way? How much do we find each office a rule of thumb into itself? Any patient traveling from city to city 
would not know whether to strip, lie back up, or belly up, leave all clothing on, to prepare for a bath, internal or external, to get a massage, to orally take pills, potions, or poisons, to have his tonsils cut out, or his bowels washed out. Where is this boasted science of ours? The problem is one of percentages. Percentage of success as against percentage of failures. Somewhere there is a saturation point of satisfaction in the average chiropractor, and at that point, he stops growing. No matter what is done, or where it is, if done upon the back, there will be a percentage of accidental subluxations that will be innately, internally, accidentally correctly adjusted, and that percent will get well. Not because you knew what, where, how, or when, but because you accidentally did something, in some way, at some place, in some manner, which permitted recovery to occur. At that point, you may be satisfied. On the other hand, you may want to know how to intentionally do certain things, at certain places, in certain manners, at certain times, to correct the same and step up your percentage of results, to include some you would otherwise accidentally fail to get well. Dee Dee Palmer's first case, Harvey Lillard, got well. This was 100%. He failed on the second, third, and many others. As our profession grew numerically, as they consistently began slipping, grew careless, indifferent, and didn't care what they did, where they did it, how or when, the percentage of successes began to drop until, generally speaking, it had reached an accidental percentage level. It was then we decided to begin researching to step up, not the percentage of accidents, but to reduce the percentage of failures. To apply chiropractic intentionally requires work, intelligence, diligence, application, long hours of study, more than the average individual cares to deliver. Even though easily satisfied and get only that accidental percentage well, you will get more well than the members of any other profession we know. Therefore, your position in society is justified, even though 100% of patients are not satisfied. And we are not contented to see you stand still on that accidental level. Looking back over this section, we see BJ cut no corners when it came to eliminating variables in spinograph acquisition, processing, and analysis. Pre and post x-rays were required to match perfectly in patient setup. We'll see in later readings that the, co the constant points that were aligned on the A to P views were the occipital protuberance and the first sacral tubercle along the central vertical axis of the bucky. Using this constant placement technique, any movement in position of atlas or axis, as well as lower spinal compensations, could be attributed to the adjustment alone. Consider this, if a patient takes a pre-adjustment x-ray standing, and then a post-adjustment sitting, and there was a noticeable change in vertebral positions, to what can you scientifically deduce that change to? Patient standing shows vertebrae in one position on x-ray. 
patient sitting shows vertebrae in slightly different position on x-ray. This is a variable in the realm of science. How do you fix this variable then? Either take all x-rays standing or sitting. But what about patient rotation and off-center positioning? These are also variables and need to be eliminated. Once variables are eliminated, change can be attributed to the technique applied. So let's talk about some of the changes BJ was looking for in post x-rays to determine if the vertebral subluxation was reducing in its misalignment component. Post x-rays were taken of patients every two weeks. The first factor that BJ checked for was atlas wedging. When atlas subluxates, it will misalign up against the occipital condyle. If you were to draw a line from one jugular process to the other on the A to P view, this would form the approximate plane that the occiput sits upon. Now if you were to draw another line from one atlas lateral mass, the inferior lateral tip, to the other, this would form the approximate plane that the atlas sits on, the A to P view. Normal alignment will reveal these two plane lines to be parallel with each other. When subluxated, the plane lines will form a wedge. The second factor BJ checked post x-rays for was a correction of lower spinal misalignments after the upper cervical subluxation was adjusted. For those chiropractors who are unfamiliar with this principle, I'd like to take a minute and explain when an upper cervical subluxation occurs, it will actually affect the structural alignment of the entire spinal column. In an effort to keep the head balanced, compensations will develop in the thoracic and lumbar spines. Now it's these compensations um, are in form of hyper and hypolordoses or kyphoses, scoliosis, and other lists that develop as a result of those. When analyzed on an x-ray, a listing could be applied to these compensations, uh, such as a PRI T6, and was formally thought of as a subluxation, and formally adjusted as one. With the advent of the neurocolometer, these form of subluxations were currently reduced to compensatory misalignments. BJ's developments proved scientifically that exclusive upper cervical adjustments would automatically correct lower spinal compensations. Chiropractic efficiency had taken a giant step forward. For the next episode, we're going to begin one of my favorite subchapters of Volume 25. The title is Brain and Spinal Cord. It's Shrinkage Before and After Death. This research project that BJ undertook sought out to do something that nobody had ever done before. Up to the 1930s, all the anatomy books stated that the brain and spinal cord shrank in size following death, up to 60%. Post-mortem dissection showed the spinal cord to be the diameter of about that of a cigarette. This was a blunder to BJ's idea that the spinal cord nearly filled up the space of the neurocanal at the level of C1 and C2. So BJ decided to prove his idea right or wrong. To do so, he needed to secure a body within minutes of death. 
Then he had to remove the occiput, atlas, and axis. And finally, the science could be official as to whether or not the spinal cord filled the space of the neural canal. And to make this project even more difficult, there was only one country that would undertake and allow such a controversial research, Nazi Germany. All this and more during the next episode of the Green Book Commentaries.